Hey everybody, it's Zorg Purcell here. This is today, it's Friday, November uh, 29th, but in actuality, it's actually the future now. It's Monday, December 9th, which is amazing. So uh, I'm starting to shooting my movie in like three days, two days, and um, and yeah, but by this time I've already been shooting for a week, believe it or not, and uh, I'll be starting our second week today, which is a really, really exciting um, I'm gonna like put myself in the mindset that it is now indeed the second week, and I am shooting in an awesome bar right now um, with a really cool scene with a really cool cast because that's what is happening right now when you're listening to this. Um, but yeah, I wanted to intro this episode really quick. This is not that old. This is an episode that Liz and I did uh, post Liz becoming full time co host. So yeah, just from a few months ago. This is with our good friend Alex Ferrari from the Indie Film Hustle. And uh, yeah, we had him back on um, pretty quickly just because um, he wanted to come back and talk about some stuff. And, you know, he's he's got a really uh, interesting point of view. And I mean, I feel like uh, um, Liz and I did a pretty good job of uh, grilling him a little bit. Um, but then he threw it right back at us, which was great. And uh, yeah, this is just a really fun conversation. And when we talk about his book, uh, The Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, which is really fun. But we also just talk about like the different types of ways you can make movies, like whether you like raise a buttload of money and you know, whatever a buttload is, but like, let's say more than $10,000, you know, um, to go up, make your feature, or do you do it sub 10,000 and just go out and make a movie? Like what's the right way to go? And we both all have very, uh, <laughs> interesting opinions on this. So, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy. And just a friendly reminder, if you haven't yet, please leave us an iTunes review on iTunes or Stitcher. Apparently there are no Stitcher reviews at all. So maybe just iTunes would be good. And, uh, and yeah, if you haven't checked it out yet, we also have a Patreon page which we do a very bad job of promoting, but um, you can find us on Patreon. I give a few bucks to help this podcast stay alive, you know, and yeah. But without further ado, here is episode 235 with Alex Ferrari. Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Liz Manischel. And I'm Mark Brissell. All right, this week we're super excited to welcome, I mean, multi-hyphenate filmmaker, writer, director, podcaster, Alex Ferrari to the show. Hi, Alex. Hello, hello, guys. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Alex was just on in episode 201, and I'm not exactly sure what episode number this is, but, you 5, know. 5,002. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really great to have uh, Alex back. This is probably the first time in like, you know, 100 episodes that we had a guest back so quickly. Um, <laughs> I we appreciate did it, that. No, episode 20 and, and then like we had a guest on and I think we had him on. No, it was like 22 and then we had him back on 24. And that was like really, but it was for a special reason. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's nice to have familiar voices back. You know? Absolutely. Well, I mean, and Liz has the record on my podcast for being... <laughs> the fastest recurring guest ever because oh, really? they were back to back episodes. Oh really? Yes. Yeah. What, what was I did, I haven't heard those ones. What were what were the, the first one episodes? was was her plea to help her get some people to take advantage of a Sundance free distribution deal oh, and apparently yes. she was having issues getting people to sign up which right. we remedied that situation quickly. Nice. And <laughs> and then right afterwards we talked about our movie in the next in the next podcast. Yeah, uh, was that Speed of Life or Bread, and, bread butter? and Butter? Bread and Butter. Oh, nice. Awesome. 
There you go. Twofer. Double up. Absolutely. And since we did that, Alex, I mean, not something to talk about on this episode, but since we did that, the Sundance Fellowship is no longer active. It's been closed (laughs) indefinitely. So I still... I mean, I don't work at Sundance anymore, but mm-hmm. thanks to all the outreach from all the podcasts I've done, <laughs> there's still like that um, really passionate desire to get support and creative distribution. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Talk to Bob. Talk to Bob. See if he can do yeah, anything Yeah, yeah. Me it. and Bob are so close. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, so really quick, uh, yes, you know, if you heard Alex on 201, we talked about a lot of really wonderful things, uh, including Alex's, how he got started in the industry, how he moved from Florida to L.A., getting started in LA, moving from post-production to podcasting. And, you know, we talked about marketing. We talked about your second feature on the corner of ego and desire. We talked about shooting for the mob, your new book, which was new at the time. Uh, but you have a new book out, uh, rise of the film entrepreneur, film, film entrepreneur, film entrepreneur. Yes. Okay. Film entrepreneur, how to turn your film into a money making business, which we'll talk about today. But basically what I want to get across to listeners is we're not going to go deep into Alex's past today because we already did that. We're going to jump right into a topic. But before we do that, Alex, give everybody who's new to you your one minute bio. Uh, um, my name's Alex Ferrari. I'm a writer, director, producer, and a million other hyphenates as well. I run the, uh, the podcast Indie Film Hustle, um, the podcast Film Entrepreneur Podcast, and the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I have a, a website, uh, Indie Film Hustle, which is a, a free resource for real hard, tough love and truth about the industry. And uh, I also run the Indie Film Hustle TV, Indie Film Hustle TV, which is the world's first streaming service dedicated to filmmaking, filmmakers and screenwriters, and probably a few other thousand things I've done. And I'm, I've, wow. and I don't want to keep going because it gets that, stupid. That, that, that's a lot. <laughs> I, that's that's a good amount, my friend. It gets it gets, gets kind of crazy after that. <laughs> um, I, I'm just really curious. Right off the the gate, uh, talk to me about film film entrepreneur. And what that means to you. So the, uh, I actually launched a new website called filmtrepreneur.com where it's basically, I wanted to sh- focus on how to make money with your movie. And there's so many people out there talking about how to make a movie and this and that, and that's all great and dandy. But everyone kind of just, when it gets to the making and the money part, it, that's not the sexy part. It's not sex. sexy is the new area, Alexa, with the new cook lenses or the this or that. That's what's sexy. I mean, distribution, not so sexy, but it is a very it's a very, very important topic. And I wanted to kind of change the conversation a bit to kind of not only focus on this old paradigm that is the traditional distribution model, which is going to a distributor or getting your movies out on platforms, driving traffic. That's all good and dandy, but there are many other ways of generating revenue with your film. And that's kind of what I developed with the, the film entrepreneur uh, method, which is in my new book, The Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, where I lay out case studies and break down literally a blueprint on how to make multiple revenue streams that keep coming in for years and years to come that are not dependent on traditional or legacy style distribution models. They act or are part of it. And sometimes they don't even need to be a complete part of it, but they could be a small part of it or they could be a large part of it, depending on how you want to do it. But that's what it is. It's about thinking about your movie as a business because as as a, a friend of mine, Susan Lyons, who's a film producer, says, there's the word show and there's the word business and the word business has twice as many letters as the word show. And there's a specific reason for that. And people always think about the art, but they, when they get to this business part, they just sit there and 
give their movie away or have no understanding of how the business works and and they lose all their money or or, or and leave the business. So I wanted to kind of create a, a resource for people to uh, to be able to find out new ways of making money in this ever changing uh, independent film economy. So hit us with a few of these ways, just like really quick, like b- besides like you know, taking your movie onto Amazon Prime or to mm-hmm. iTunes and doing the self-distribution thing that we all have talked about before and we know mm-hmm. how to do. Mm-hmm. What are some other ways that you can make money on your film? Well, I use I use the example, I've spoken about this a lot to my audience, is uh, let's say we're going to make a romantic comedy. Well, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times filmmakers will make a romantic comedy and they're like, we're going to market it to everyone who likes romantic comedies. And that's just way too broad. You don't have the marketing muscle nor the infrastructure to do something like that. So you have to niche down. The One of the cornerstones of being a film entrepreneur is to be able to find a niche audience that you can develop a product for and think about not only the, the film, but different ancillary product lines and services that you could provide that audience uh, and thinking of it as a holistic ecosystem as opposed to just one movie and, and, and just selling that movie and that's the only product. Because then you're basically not diversifying your portfolio when it comes to that project. So uh, the vegan, mo- the the, uh, the romantic comedy I says, look, let's make a vegan chef movie. Let's let's make a movie about a vegan chef that falls in love with a barbecue meat eater champion. And I'll call that movie Crazy Sexy Vegan, for lack of a better term. And when you're making that movie, would it make sense to make that movie for a budget so you can't make it for $500,000? Does that audience, does that niche audience that you're going to target justify that budget range? And the niche audience that you could target are vegans, vegetarians, people who want to, you know, chasing the plant-based lifestyle, other things like those kind of sub-niches. And then there's other niches that kind of uh, spill off of that. But those are the main niches. And these are niches that you can actually target and you can actually dent and, and go to that customer base because there aren't many, if, if I even think of any actual narrative films that focus on, you know, the vegan, vegan or plant-based or anything like that. So, right. But what, but what, what give mm-hmm. us, cause that's just niche marketing, which we've also heard right. about, like you gotta like find your audience and, and find who wants to watch your movie. And that's a great example of, of an audience, but what's like a product or a service that you well, can offer that's I'm getting, outside? I'm getting there. Well, that's there. what I want to know. I'm getting there. <laughs> Patience, young grasshopper. Patience. <laughs> so you find your niche audience and then wouldn't it make sense to, if you're going to go after that niche audience, why don't you try to partner with a, let's say a celebrity vegan chef and if, and put that vegan chef in the movie. And maybe while you're in, the, while you're writing the movie, you start designing, uh, have one of the characters design an online cooking course because they want to, you know, kind of venture out because they got fired from their vegan job and they don't know what else to do. And the barbecue, I'm just spitballing here. The barbecue champion is an expert online marketer in her world, but why don't we just use it and put it in your world? So then you start in the, in the movie itself, they're building online courses for vegans and that's kind of entrenched in the storyline well obviously if you have an audience like vegans or vegetarians wouldn't it make sense to create online courses teaching you how to be vegan or how to transform into that plant-based lifestyle yeah wouldn't it make sense to build products like maybe ebooks cook uh, you know cooking ebooks on recipes um different obvious other kind of product lines that aren't so on the nose like t-shirts and hats but maybe aprons and other services like, you know, uh, build, like building a company. And now we're starting to get into a larger thing. And by the way, everything I'm talking about right now, I have case studies that back it up. So this is like merch 2.0, basically, is what you're talking about. So it's, like not just merch, but you're also like 
creating like a whole business around yeah, ex- your movie. Exactly. Well, it is actually the, the title of the book, how to turn your movie into a money-making business because you're focusing not on just the movie, but you're, you're creating multiple ancillary product lines that are coming in from the movie as well as services, possible services. So, and that's, those services can, aren't just limited to, uh, you know, like, uh, services that are within the niche. It could be services like, you know, you're such a good online marketer that you open up a marketing firm helping other filmmakers or helping other people in maybe in that niche to do online marketing or do video editing. It's all depending on the goals of what you want to do. Well, I just want to pipe in though with like yeah. the um, the woo-woo uh, phrasing of what you're doing. <laughs> the woo-woo phrasing is like your film is so beautiful and the world you've created is so wonderful that you want to expand it beyond the boundaries of the film and immerse your audience through other you know, avenues where they can experience the film in their everyday life. Right. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's not just all about, cause I, I know that people are, are having a version sometimes to marketing language. And I just want to show, show that there's like a hippie way of looking at this too. <laughs> exactly. That's a great way of putting it. Uh, but the thing is that, yeah, I know everybody, we're all artists here and there's always that, uh, that's that conversation of art versus commerce. And you know, if you, if you're making a lot of movie with your money, with your movie, then all of a sudden you're a sellout or you're not into for the art. I'm like, unfortunately our art form is one of the most expensive art forms on the planet. And if you don't understand the business, there is no show. So you really kind of, kind of put it all together. I look at it completely as everything is creative for me. So the online marketing is created, building it all out. And also as far as the, you know, the, what I'm saying is uh, when you when you when you said the word woo woo is like, oh, my movie's so great that I'm going to create all these other product lines outside of it. It's about starting before the movie is made, not after the movie is made. It, it, you can do it after the movie is made, but it's a lot more difficult if, you, if you're you haven't started planning this out. It should be part of the creative process. So when you're building the movie out, you're writing the movie, developing the movie, you start thinking about what are these other product lines I can do? Who is my audience? Who is my avatar? How can I design this product to sell to this audience and fulfill a need that they want, whether it's entertainment or education or inspiration? Well, Ulrich's going to kill me because I want to jump to the next topic. And actually, both of you may kill me. But you you sparked <laughs> on something really interesting where you're saying how expensive our art form is. Yes. And as you know, I'm a micro budget filmmaker. You're a micro budget filmmaker, Ulrich. I don't know the budget of your film, but I'm I'm thinking you're yeah. leaning towards low budget I would indie say content. My, my, my micro budget's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of making this content that's so expensive, but reducing our overhead, but then expanding revenue streams, like mm-hmm. have you? Um, what would be your suggestion to people on like an ideal budget for just the main product, the film? So the, the key is, it's always a balancing act. So, you know, I, I, you know, I have, I've had people talk to me, they're like, oh, I made a romantic comedy, I spent half a million dollars, it has no stars in it, and uh, we're going to make money with it. I'm like, uh, that's, you're way too broad. It, it, it won't work. So you've got to balance what the niche audience that you're going after, will it support the budget of your film? I make movies because I chased I chased that almighty golden carrot for so many years trying to get projects made for a million dollars, two million dollars or, or higher that I, got, I just got exhausted. So with my first feature, I made that for about five grand. And that movie went on to make easily, you know, in the five, in, in the mid five figures, if not high five figures. 
uh, with just that one movie. And I crowdfunded it on top of it. So I was in the black before I ever got started, you know, before I even started shooting or while I was shooting. So I had a lot more space to experiment. My second movie on the corner of Vigo and Desire, I made that one for three grand. And I'm, I already started making money with that already purely because I already have, I've built in an infrastructure. I mean, we could talk about On the Corner of Ego and Desire specifically because it, it's a perfect example of a film entrepreneur method. I have an audience that is filmmakers with my Indie Film Hustle brand and my companies that I work with are all focused on indie filmmakers. So I designed a product that is so aligned with what they want and what they they want to see is a film about three filmmakers going to Sundance and trying to sell their movie at Sundance and it's a funny comedy. And I made that movie for about three grand. So that movie alone, I'll be able to sell easily, but I've already started making revenue with it before it's even been released through advertising revenue through my my podcast, the content I've been putting out in my books, all these kind of things. I'm already starting to generate revenue from it before I even launched the movie. And then after I launched the movie, then it'll be, you know, I'll, I'll be creating workshops and online courses, the, the, uh, you know, using it as a case study. So this is a perfect example of a film entrepreneur model. Right. Well, so, and this is probably silly, but I'm just curious what you guys think of this. Like, you know, micro budget, what's, what's that? That's considered anything under half a million. Is that mm, what a micro budget film I mean, is? Or is it even know. less than that? Liz, you would know, right? 250K is my number that I give people. So that's as a, as an, as a micro budget film. As a micro budget. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so what's 3K then? Is that like micro, micro yeah. budget? That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a non-existent budget at that point. Like that doesn't right. make, that doesn't make human sense, but it does make sense for someone like me who has right. the resources and the, and the, and the tools in my toolbox to pull something like that off. Well, but th this is what I really want to talk about today. This is like my main topic that I find fascinating mm -hmm. and really interesting is, is like, is this what filmmaking is coming to? Like, yes. do we have to make movies for like under $5,000 or $10,000 in order to be profitable? Or is there a world where you can still make your money back on a $250,000 movie? So I'll, I'll, I'll chime in with that question. I think that, Independent filmmaking in general is getting extremely difficult to generate revenue. As a general statement, there's too much competition and there's too much competition for eyeballs. People are not going to independent films as much as they used to. So these bigger budgets, if they don't hedge their bets with you know, larger stars or people like that, it becomes much more difficult. And even that doesn't guarantee anything. I'm coming at it from a more of a kind of Silicon Valley startup mentality where you keep that overhead as low as humanly possible while still able to create a product that the audience is willing to consume. So there's that fine balance. Could you always, you could always spend more money on a movie. If you got 10 million, you could spend 20 million. Like you'll find a way to spend that money. Right. There's just no question. But what can you, what, what's the biggest, the best product I can put out for a certain price point? So at a price point of like three to $5,000, you know, a lot of people are like, this is insane. How could you do that? You, I, I can't, again, because of the toolbox that I have and, and the resources that I have at my disposal that I've built up over a course of my career, can films make money right. at the 50, 100, 200, $300,000 budget? Absolutely. But if you are not savvy in regards to marketing, if you don't understand distribution, if you don't understand a lot of the things I talked about in regards to creating multiple revenue streams, it's going to be harder and harder and harder to try to even break even. There's a reason why is it, I think 90, 98% of movies don't make money back. Right. You know, they just and, don't. And, 
and even if you do understand those things, it's still, it's still tough. hard. You've got you to know? execute. You got to execute near perfection. Occasionally, you'll get that. You'll get that lottery ticket. You'll get that paranormal activity, or you know, people will use those kind of films, or Blair Witch, or El Mariachi, for God's sakes. I mean, they'll use these kind of films as it's as so dangerous as, to do that. It's it, yeah, it's right. the lottery ticket mentality yeah. because it, th- those are outliers. Those are not everyday examples. You. Every time I see a, a business proposal for a film, a, a business plan, and they go, I'm making a horror movie, and here are my examples, and they use Blair Witch, Paranormal Activity. I'm like, that's not, no, right. no, right. it's not the way the business works. Is there a world where filmmakers are going to be able to make half a million dollar movies and make money with it? Man, I, it, that window, I feel, is closing very, right. very, very sharply and from, my, from where I'm sitting and from what I'm seeing. Right, right. What what I find really fascinating is because when you make a movie for, let's say, under $10,000, like there's only certain types of movies that can be made for that budget. Like you can't make a a big, like a sci-fi movie or even like, you know, a really gory horror horror movie for that kind of budget. You know, if you wanted to have a certain level of production value, certain level of art design, of production design, like you really have to use what you have, you know, in order to make a movie at that level, which I think is wonderful and great. But um, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is as a filmmaker, like a young filmmaker coming into this business, like going out and making a movie for $10,000 and making it an indie drama or Mm -hmm. a mockumentary Mm -hmm. or some kind of found footage style movie, is that really going to be what's going to best serve you as an artist, as a filmmaker trying to, you know, get started in the in your career or is it better to like whatever the the thing, the vision that you have in your heart and the movie that you want to make and the, the thing that you think is going to really connect with your audience? Is it better to like raise the money that you need, get that number to as low as possible and make that movie? Like what is what's going to benefit us better as artists? Um, personally, I feel that you need to make you need to I would spend. I would rather make a, a, a five or ten little budget movies, five to ten thousand dollar movies, and get all that product and all those films out into the marketplace. Because one, I'll become a better filmmaker because of all the practice, and re- and resources and connections that I'll make during that process. While I'm making those five or ten movies, some other guy or girl is going to be out there hustling, trying to make that one movie for three or four hundred thousand dollars, and that I promise you will take probably a couple years if they're lucky. Right. If they're or, lucky. or longer. Oh no, I'm like that's that's like best case scenario is a couple years. Right. It more likely will take five or even longer if it's even makes sense because you know how the business changes and all that kind of stuff. So I I, I personally am in the camp of making as much, you know, make as many movies as you can, as fast as you can, learn from them, don't be so precious about them, and you'll become a better artist and a better business person by doing but it. But I think we're asking a little bit about the brand. So if you're putting out a lot of content, which I I agree with you should constantly putting out be putting out content at a low budget because you mm-hmm. need to exercise those muscles but if you're branding yourself as because it's not always going to come off as high quality work when you're working in sure. a low budget space mm-hmm. do you worry about that coming back on you do you worry about right. the like the the longevity of your career and those films being brought back up absolutely not i mean did you see peter jackson's first few movies they're they're just like they're like schlock well they're fun they're camp they're campy schlock films you know exactly and this guy made you know jesus he became uh, you know a legend for the movies he made with lords of the ring so 
I, at, the, at the end of the day, I, 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 I look at it. See, I, I've been chasing that golden carrot for so long. My perspective is a little bit skewed because I've been looking and chasing. I've been trying to be invited to that party for so long that I got exhausted doing it. And I just finally said, you know what? I'm not going to play their game anymore. And I'm going to do my own thing, build my own my own party to go to. And and that's where this whole film entrepreneurial aspect of things come, but, comes but about. But people do definitely put you in boxes though, right? Like that, that No matter what undeniable. you do. Yeah. Look, you know, Wes, you, know, I mean, you guys know Wes Craven, of course, right? The horror sure. director. Yeah. Yeah. That poor guy, whether you want to call him a poor or not, I knew I knew this for a fact because I, I was good friends with his assistant. So I was I always heard these stories behind him. He didn't want to do horror anymore. He was tired of doing horror. But because he had established himself so much as a horror director, no one would see him as anything else because he had become a brand of that already. So if you remember a movie called Music of the Heart with Meryl Streep. Okay, so Music of the Heart started Meryl Streep and Gloria Estefan. And it was about like inner city kids with like 500 violins and they create a program and all this stuff. That's directed by Wes Craven. The only reason he got to make that was because Miramax wanted him to do Scream 2. And three. Uh, and and he's, he get the trade. And he's basically. like, look, if you want me to do that, you've got to give me this. And he did it. And it was a great little film. Didn't do, you know, gangbusters. But it, but nobody would, would nobody would open him up. So if you're thinking about being in a box, I, I honestly feel that that's the wrong mentality to think about. Because if you're trying to think about, oh, like, oh, what are they, people are going to think in 10 years? Am I going to be able to do what I want? Dude, just get up and do something now. It's, it's more about like, you know, getting getting a track record that you're proud of sure. basically that that's sort of the way that I look at it, you know, mm-hmm. and that you want to turn out movies that you can stand behind and that you're not going to look back on and feel like, Oh, this wasn't the greatest work that I could have done. You well know? then, then, well then there's, there's a great example called the Duplass brothers. I okay. mean, sure. I mean, look at puffy chair. I mean, you look at puffy chair today and you're like, Jesus, this looks atrocious, but it was good storytelling. It was good storytelling. And then Joe Swanberg, he made like 30 movies. <laughs> All and in they were, Chicago. All in Chicago. And arguably many of them aren't that good. You know, they, you know, but and they but he just kept going. What is he? He's just, you know, he's just he's doing movies for Netflix and shows for Netflix well, now. I mean, you're I'd just also say that those heroes. guys are but those guys are the outliers for, for sure. Yeah. You know, there's all the people who are making tons and tons of movies who are just making those movies at that same level and they're not getting out there onto the Mark Duplass or the, you know, well, I mean, look, look, Joe there Swanberg. is, there, there is, they are outliers to a certain extent, but they do show something that a lot of filmmakers I feel today are lacking, which is hustle. They go out there, they pound the pavement and they just keep making product. Do you think Mark Duplass or Jay were thinking about their long-term, you know, plans when they made, when they made Puffy Chair or made that short film that got them into Sundance, which cost them $3 and 57 cents? No. They were trying to tell stories with the gear that they had at their disposal. There was a whole movement, the Mumblecore movement, yeah. which was all about right. that. And there's there a crop of directors that came out of let's that. Let's talk about blowback, though, because I think, you know, we talked to Naomi McDougall-Jones. Whenever I talk about micro-budget to anyone, someone mm-hmm. always brings up paying people um, paying people what they're owed in terms of technical craftsmen, mm-hmm. peop- you know, craftswomen. And, yes. I mean, it sounds like you shoot, you edit, you direct, you take on so many roles that you can mm-hmm. reduce that in the budget but how mm-hmm. do you feel about everyone kind of taking it and making that sacrifice to make the project so it all depends on how you structure the situation i pay everybody that works on my movies i pay them something do they get paid their rate i don't not often but it's a small amount of time 
And I'm like, look, if you guys want to come out and have some fun, let's go do something. I'll pay you something every day and we'll make it happen. A lot of times I'll share in the back end profits with them. And it's like, look, we're going to try to make this. Let's make this as a team. Let's, let's go out there and make it happen. You know, it's just like Mark Duplass says, like, go out, get a bunch of your friends and go make something. And, and you know, every actor that works with me, they get paid. They get paid the, the, the SAG minimum which is what, 125 bucks a day or something like that. Everyone's getting paid. A little bit more now. Yeah, yeah, whatever that is, you know, but you always, I I always feel that you need to pay people. Even if they're coming in for the day, I always pay, even if it's a PA or somebody who's interning, you you pay 50 bucks, you pay gas money, you make sure you feed them. And then there's also other things that, you know, you could do where you you get them work, you help them with marketing. There's, you know, I I, I used to, I traded, yeah, I, I used to, I used to build websites for crew members. Because yeah. that's the way I, I would feel, I would pay them back because I had a skill. So there's always a way of doing it. Do I believe that right. these a lot of these filmmakers that come out and they just constantly abuse and abuse and abuse and take advantage? And if the money, if the movie makes money, nobody gets anything. That's horrible. You know, my movies haven't made obscene amounts of money. Like, look, if I had a paranormal activity happen, I promise you, somebody's going to get a check. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not right. that dude. You know, but overall, I, you know, people get caught up in that. Well, you're not being paid what I'm normally paid. Well, dude, that's not this project. You pay what you agree to. Make sure everyone's taken care of. Make sure everyone is fed. You don't work 15 hours. You, there's right. just there's certain balances that have to happen. You treat people well. I mean, like I'm dealing with that exactly. blowback right now, and I guess I, that's why I kind of asked that question. Is I'm always so open about my budget and what I pay actors, and I'm getting to this point where. If they find out <laughs> that I'm that open about it, they might start to revolt towards me. Well, I, oh, really? Yeah. And the actors like, look, if you're bringing in like when with my first movie, This Is Meg, a lot of those actors uh, that I had, most of them were all very established, you know, actors out in the, you know, who'd worked on big movies and big TV shows. And they came out essentially as a favor to my main, my, my star and my producer, co-producer, uh, Jill, because they were friends. I'm like, Hey, we're making a movie. You want to come out for a few hours and let's shoot some scenes. And they were like, yeah, sure. No problem. And we paid everybody something and they were happy with it. And they were, you know, we paid everybody their sack minimum and they were happy. And they're like, Oh, cool. This is great. It's all about who, like what the relationship is. If you hire somebody and you like, look, I know you normally get paid for $20,000, but I'm going to give you $500. And then I'm going to go out publicly and say that I paid you $500. That's probably going to give you blowback. Right. So, <laughs> you, you know, you probably don't want to do that. So generally speaking, you've got to, you know, if you're open about certain things, there are certain things that you have to, might have to hold back if you don't want that blowback. And also just blowback from the people that you're making that deal with. Those deals are behind closed door kind of deals that they're doing a favor or they believe in a project, but they don't want that information out in the world because then every Tom, Dick and Harry is going to call them up like, well, you did Liz's movie for 500 bucks. Why can't you do mine? And then it creates a a devaluation of their, I agree with that, but I also believe in data transparency and I believe like in empowering other filmmakers that they can get name cast on the low budget. So then you have to get name cast that's agreeable with that. Or yeah, that's the thing. No, no actor has ever said don't share this information but mm. i'm just saying like there's this very awkward tightrope that if you want to you know share and collaborate with other filmmakers and empower them to get work off the ground you also have to play this like tease this game of teasing information mm-hmm. out into the world and i think that's kind of complicated it, it is and that's kind of like the whole distribution model in general like nobody wants to talk about numbers how much they made how much they didn't make all that kind of stuff because 
it's it takes a strong person to you know expose themselves in that way you know and if it's not making money or you know or if it is making money they, they don't want to put that information out there so it is difficult to to kind of be completely 100 percent transparent with your projects so liz what kind of blowback are you getting um, i haven't gotten it yet projects? i'm just waiting oh you're waiting yeah. for it oh you're fearing it's a, it in absolutely. the future okay yeah. it's, i see it's a great mindset liz that's fantastic that's so, my everyday so. mindset for anything <laughs> Just so, total object fear. So Alex is definitely a proponent of the make whatever you can for the lowest budget you can, turn it into a product that you can sell and make money back on that product. Yeah. Um, so Liz and I are kind of doing it a little bit differently. I've been making short films, you know, for seven years. And even while developing my, my feature, I've been shooting shorts, you know, whenever I can and, mm-hmm. you know, keeping the muscle active, you know, and, sure. and doing stuff. But uh you know, I definitely feel like for my first feature, like I really wanted to have something that had a certain level of production value and I have a certain kind of story that I want to tell mm-hmm. that I just can't really do with a three person crew, you know, and, and like a few thousand dollars, you know, like I really just need to have a more substantial budget. It's I think, you know, I'm happy with the choice because and it's and it's not like like you you say oh rather than waiting for you to be invited to the party or whatever like I'd rather be like hitting the pavement and and, and doing something it's like I think I really want to make sure that people understand that when you're you know trying to make a movie for you know like micro budget like under half a million or whatever it is that like hitting the pavement every day like you might not be making a movie but you're hustling to like try to raise that money mm-hmm. to develop the script yeah. to like you know like su- submit it to contests submit mm-hmm. it to grants submit sure. find a producer find mm-hmm. a crew like if go you go to all these different conferences and like if you that's know, a path you want to walk walk it because i walked that path for almost a decade and then when i woke oh, up yeah. one day and i woke up and i was 40 and i said oh my god i still haven't made my first feature what so, the hell so in in that decade Decade, what was it like what what like what stopped you from getting your first feature made within that decade are you of kidding walking that path i'm just curious how long like, how long do you have i mean there was just so many <laughs> i mean so many I, I wrote my first book shooting for the mob was a, a year of my life trying to get a 20 million dollar made film made with mobsters and i got to go and meet these huge movie stars and big i was in the game i was meeting billion dollar producers and all this kind of stuff that's the, that's one story do you, do you think you just shot too high? Like you're trying to. Go I didn't shoot too high. I didn't shoot million. I didn't shoot too high. The producer, the, the bipolar uh, okay. gangster that I was with, uh, was okay. uh, the one that shot too high. But that's just one example. Right. I had other movies that I did everything the way everyone told me to. I made a short film as a proof of concept. I actually that one movie I made a short film that was a proof of concept. Spent fifty thousand dollars on that short film. It looked amazing. It went to a hundred, a hundred, hundred and fifty film festivals won all sorts of awards around the world then i made an animated prequel to it trying to create a world for it i created business plans for it i chased i went around i did all this stuff i had a i had actors attached to it i packaged it i met people almost had the money fell through almost had the money fell through this didn't happen that didn't happen it's this game of yep. chasing yeah. this big carrot it's and masochism it's, it no it is it's brutal it's brutal so i finally for my own sanity, decided that's it. 
I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do this anymore. And if someone shows up, look, I've done, show, I've, I've directed shows that are half million dollars, million dollars shows for companies. I've been a working director for over 20 years. So that's, it's not, it's when I wanted to create my own projects, it was, I was, I, I kept getting stopped because I right. kept asking for permission. And I just said, you know what? I'm tired of asking for permission. Now, if you're going to go make a movie for 50 grand and that's what you need to make your movie, God bless you, man. And if you got that money, go to it. But if you don't understand how to make that money back, I promise you, you're not going to make another $50,000 movie. So, so Liz, I think you're a good counterpoint to this because, you know, you went out, you did all the things that you needed to do to get your first film made, Bread and Butter. And, uh, you know, I, it sounds like you walked me. I don't know exactly if it was the same kind of path that Alex was walking, but I think no. maybe similar. No, I never walked that path, Alex. I uh, That is, sounds like a really hard path to walk down. <laughs> so then how did you get your, your, your movie made at like, you know, whatever? Her like, first phone call, they just gave her the money. No, I, I crowdfunded. Mean, <laughs> I crowdfunded. Yeah. That is yeah. literally That's how I did it. it. Yeah, I crowdfunded. Yeah. I used two credit cards. Um, one of the people who crowd, you know, who donated to my campaign came out of the blue, decided she wanted to start investing in film. And so she, and this happened over like three years. It's not like mm-hmm. overnight, but I'm, I am a counterpoint to Alex in the sense that I'm not necessarily the, my end goal is not necessarily to be a working director. And so like my mm-hmm. perspective is to make film, make, make films as a hobby and to not ever expect a return to do it as a personal, emotional, cathartic experience for myself, because I want to be a writer director. My heroes are with Stillman, Hal, Hal Hartley, Nicole Holof Center, these indie writer directors from the nineties, but I know that's not going to make any money. So I make one film every several years by combing together whatever money I can find. And I put it onto the world without any expectation that I will profit. But, but you have been a lot smarter than that about your distribution because you have gotten distribution on, uh, well, on your first film and you're, you've got a creative distribu- distribution plan for your second film. And you are seeing returns on the film, right? Yes, I'm trying to be very well. I'm not profited on the first film, but I've made a lot. I have a, I made a lot of revenue. Um, but yes, I have to be. You have to just like Alex is saying. You have to be incredibly thoughtful and research about how you release and market your film. And my big thing is reducing overhead. So I never work with sales agents. I usually work with an aggregator or a distributor with a really low split. Um, I take on the marketing duties myself. I outsource things like posters and trailers because usually an agency will charge you up the wazoo for those things. And mm-hmm. I just try to reduce all the costs as much as possible while entertaining those things that Alex is talking about, like labor split, like labor swaps, reducing the, you know, your, your day. I never go beyond 12 hours, always give people good food, like treating people as decently as possible. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. that's the hustle, but I just do the hustle every few years instead of constantly. Well, but you are constantly hustling though, Liz, right? I mean, like to get like from one movie to the next movie, it's not like you took a big break between making bread and butter and making speed of life. You're just, you know, you're spending, I don't know how long it took you to write a uh, speed of life, but you know, you're taking like a good amount of time. Well, it's to set in 2016. Projects. So I wrote it in 2016 and it's 2019. It's a period. It's a period piece. Actually, it is a period piece because it's time travel. Um, <laughs> no, that's true. Like I am constantly hustling. Uh, but, uh, but yes, it's it's a hard game. It's a hard game no matter what. This, this is a really good time to bring up uh, a guest that we had on the show uh, recently, and his name's Eduardo Castrillo. I don't know if you know this yes. guy, Alex, but 
He's made uh, seven features in the time that I've been working on. Uh, well, since Liz made her first movie. Basically. God bless him. <laughs> and he's like doing them all micro budget, I think between 50 and 10, I think in that range, mm-hmm. you know, and just cranking them out one after the other. And it was really interesting to talk to him because he's like, oh, I don't know, you guys, maybe you're taking some breaks or whatever. And I was just like, no, we're not taking breaks, man. We're just, <laughs> <laughs> we're just approaching it extremely differently than you are. You're just like, like he'll write a script and then like within a year he'll have the movie done and edited yeah. and like released you yeah. know and it's like such a different model and such a different approach he's not mm-hmm. casting I, name I talent though in terms of the traditional usage of the word name he's not casting name talent he's right so i think that's part well, of he it got too. like tom sizemore in his movie right. he's got like tony todd like he's got these these kind of low budget um you know kind of cult classic icon people who right end who, up in who his are afford- who are very affordable and, uh, and guarantee him some sort of distribution internationally Right, exactly. And then he's got some connections to some distributors who work in this this level of film, mm-hmm. you know, and so that that's how he's able to keep it going, you know. And and a lot of them he, are self-funded or I don't know if he's done any crowdfunding, but you know, I think he has for a couple of his projects. Good and for uh, him. so he's kind of doing the same sort of thing, but he's just doing it on a, a lower budget and, you know, just at a faster rate. Mm-hmm. But I think the conversation that the whole point of this conversation is to wonder like is that the best model? Is Liz's model the better model? Mine's well, not. Is your model? No, no, no. So, so <laughs> let, let, let me well, let me, let me stop you. Sure. Let me stop you a second. I'm not sure. Liz's, I'm not sure. Liz's model is a model of an artist, not of a business person per se, because she even said herself she does not want to be a working director. Right. But but she's but she's but still she, doing the business thing. She is. Which making, I think she should give herself some more credit. No, absolutely. Just, you know. No, absolutely. She's not just an artist throwing things. I mean, she Thank makes you. it sound like I'm just an artist that's throwing things out there. I'm like, no, you're smart about it. Everything you just said. You have some thought about how you're going to recoup this money because it is your 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 physical responsibility to whoever gave you the money to try to return that money back in one way, shape, or form. Unless everyone's understanding that this is art and we're putting it out there. While Eduardo's example, he's just. It sounds to me like he's happy, and 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 that's the oh, question. Yeah. And that's the question you need to answer for yourself, everyone listening. What is happiness for you? Is it chasing money for two or three years to make that one movie that you really are dying to make? Great. There's nothing wrong with that. Or is it pounding seven movies in three years? Because that's what you want to do. It all has to be about the definition of what makes you happy. Who knew this conversation would take this turn? Not me. <laughs> yeah. I, but I, I think this is a, that's a really good point. It's like you got to follow your heart and what's true to you. you know? Exactly. Because one thing that's going to work for, you know, like what's going to work for Alex isn't going to work for Ulrich necessarily, you know, right. or Eduardo's path might not work for, for someone else. You know, it's just like everyone's going to have their own approach to like, you know, making their art. Yeah, we have, we all have different experiences. Like I have a lot of shrapnel. I have a lot of scarring and a lot of shrapnel from the years that I've been in this business. <laughs> there's no, I mean, I, I mean, I limp, there's a thing. So, I mean, I have a lot, of, <laughs> I have a lot of shrapnel. So my perspective is a little bit different than most people's. Now, if if you told me that, uh, I'm, I'm, do you want me to try to make movies like Liz does? Uh, once every three years, I, I, you know, and chase a bigger budget, I would say absolutely not because I went down that path. It didn't work for me and right. it's working for her, but it didn't work for me because at the Thank time you. that I was doing it, those those opportunities like crowdfunding, 
like all the technology was not around when I was doing it. Not that I'm an old fart, but I'm still not a young guy. So, you know, it it wasn't available to me. So my perspective is different as just like I, I, I interviewed a kid who's 21 had seven features done and those, and those seven features were things he shot with like whatever little, you know, he made these little weird experimental movies that his audience that he put up on on Amazon Prime, he's making money with every month. And it costs him nothing to make. That makes him happy. It, it's all about what is going to fulfill you as not only a, an artist, but as a business person. Because if you're trying to make, create, my model is about cr- trying to create a sustainable lifestyle and a sustainable business using right. my art. That is where I'm coming from, as opposed to just right. doing art on the side. There's two right. different, completely different perspectives. I know from speaking to thousands of filmmakers over the course of my career, if I told you, hey, I can show you a way to make money and make a living doing what you love to do, and you'll be happy doing it, I'm going to say 9.9 out of 10 of those filmmakers are going to say, how do I do it? So it, right. it, it's all about, you know, we all want to make money. Look, if someone, if money was no option, we all be making movies and we all be well, expressing ourselves as artists. But, but I would say 9.9 out of those filmmakers might not be interested in creating a cooking school for their Correct. vegan film. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Because like, that's like, be, you know, you're, you're going on a whole other level of just being a filmmaker. You're talking about being like not just a film entrepreneur, but like a real entrepreneur. Yeah. Like if you're going to start like a, a online cooking school business, right. you know. But that's like something else. But for me, I, I look at it as this. Let's say I create that one that one movie. Let's say the, the crazy sexy vegan. And that one movie builds I build a business up that's able to generate money for me that I can then go off and make whatever movie I want whenever I want to do it. And that movie and that company is building and working itself out. And then I, I don't have to go chase money. I don't have to go crowdfund. I don't have to do any of that because the money that I'm making from just that one movie, that one that one project allows me to go right. make my personal films if I want to. I mean, yeah. Indie Film Hustle allows me to go make This Is Meg, even though I crowdfunded it. I was already making the movie prior to crowdfunding it. I crowdfunded because I wanted to go through that experience and share it with my audience. But Ego and Desire is 100% funded by me. You know? right. I think and, I'm and, and, in and that partner. movie. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I did want to bring this up. Liz. Okay, so <laughs> I did want to bring this up. So when we were doing this movie at Sundance, you know, I, I kept it very hush-hush because I, you know, I didn't want anybody to stop us. So, and then Liz worked, (laughs) Liz worked at Sundance and, and, and I knew Liz was going to be at the party that we were actually shooting the movie in. So I, I didn't think Liz was going to narc on me or anything along those lines. I'm not a narc. I think we all know that. Yes. She's not a narc, but I, I think someone said like, Hey, Liz is here from Sundance. I'm like, Oh great. What does she think? She's like, does she know what's going on? She's like, I think he, she might have an idea, but it's like, I would tell people on the street what I was doing, like friends of mine that I would just bump into on main street and people were like, you could see their faces like you, you're, you're making a what? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm shooting a movie right now. What, That's what do so you, funny. what do you mean? So I have to ask you, Liz, since you were on the inside, was there any, cause I, I, I'll tell you this. I sent that link to Sundance. I submitted the film to Sundance and that link, normally you get three, four views off of a link to a, a festival, that thing was played 67 times. 
Um, well, it, I mean, I don't talk to the programmers and they're not like allowed course. to share anything with me. But I have to say that when I went to that party where you were filming, everyone explicitly told me you were filming. So there was literally no <laughs> just, secret to it. Son <laughs> of a bitch. It's just thrown under the bus. But That's it was hilarious. it was a great experience shooting that, man. We shot that whole thing in four days within 36 hours, pretty much. So it was an insane process. But for me, that kind of filmmaking, at least with that kind of story, made sense. Like if, I, if someone gave me a hundred thousand dollars never in a million years would i make that movie like that right you just can't you know i wouldn't make a movie like that but for three grand absolutely let's go have some fun right 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 it's interesting this whole thing about like generating your own revenue to make your films like that's something I, i worked with francis ford coppola on a movie of his like whatever eight years ago something like that and that was one of the things that he used to tell us all the time Mm -hmm. was was find your oil well and his oil well was the wine business yes. that he created from his name. And so he's like, if you can find the thing that generates revenue for you and like allows you to make your films as a filmmaker, you have it set, you know? Yes. Um, so can we have one second for really Coppola and just like how no one talks about how just absolutely wonderful he is as a human yes. oh, and as an he's artist. Super nice. And we should all just like yeah. bow down to him on like absolutely. a daily basis. There's no, there's no question. I wish he would be making, I don't know. I don't know if he's making movies as much as he used to. He, he was is. Popping they're just all quick. weird. And I love him for it. I think <laughs> and he's you know what? a hero. Good for him. I mean, I've, I've been to the Coppola wineries and I went to like his museum and stuff. With his, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's That's just nice. it's just like heaven. You're just sitting there going, oh, my God. This, like he, he he is an inspiration. And he's the conversation with I don't know why in, in recent years. His name doesn't come up in the in the conversation of the most best directors of all time as oh, really? often. I, I feel as like often, it does. I, I, well, I haven't heard it as much as it should be because my God, he's same. They just remarkable. bring up Apocalypse it, Now and then they like move on to something else. But Godfather, like, Godfather oh, to sorry, Apocalypse I'll, Now, and that's it. Sorry, I can't right. believe I didn't even say that. Yeah, yes. but they—he needs more attention. Is that he crazy? Does. Especially to for say the second, especially for this kind of second act of his career that he, yeah. he created. Sorry to derail us, but just go, Coppola. He's just a really, he's a really nice guy too. Sits with the crew every day when I worked with him on that film. Says hi to everybody. You know, he got Val Kilmer to sit with us basically because like he was doing it. So then all the big stars started to do it too. Aww. And yeah, it was it was really sweet. He's a sweet guy. Yeah, I don't know. Anything you guys want to talk about? We got like 10 minutes. Well, like, what, what should we my, focus my on? I guess my cap for the conversation is just about the happiness conversation that we're having about mm-hmm. life oh, okay. and its purpose. Um, <laughs> right. Is that, you know, like if you don't have fun making movies, like it also should just be about like not not just sustainable lifestyles, but like mm-hmm. what you want to do with your daily life. So like I want to be in filmmaker support. I don't want to spend my day on set. I hate being on set. I think it's, it gives me horrible, horrible panic attacks. Um, <laughs> I can't see that. Right, sure. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, sure you do. <laughs> but the perspective is I love saying that I finished a film, right? So yes. I spread oh, it great. out over several years and I go through the pain and the horror once or mm-hmm. twice a decade if I get to be so lucky. So I think there is a way to live your life in a in a happy lifestyle as a part-time filmmaker as well. That's all. That's all just my little five cents. Right. And if I can add two cents to that, a lot of people ask me all the time now, like, Alex, you know, you made these two movies. When are you going to like, when's your next movie? When's your next movie? And I told them, like, I don't know, maybe a couple years from now, maybe because I'm so busy enjoying what I'm doing with Indie Film Hustle yeah. and Film Entrepreneur and, and all the other all my other companies and brands that I'm, I'm building. That brings me so much joy to be able to help other filmmakers 
to be able to guide and inspire and interview these amazing people that, you know, I get to interview and all this. I'm having too much fun writing books. I'm having too much fun. So like writing this book that I, I literally am about to send it to my editor, The Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, that was like giving birth to a movie for me. It was like, oh my God, it, it, it gave me the same high as making a movie. So for me, my definition of happiness has changed, you know, where originally my definition was I have to make the next Marvel movie. Now it's not that anymore. I've, I've, I've completely changed the definition in my own world and what makes me happy. And when you find out what's you, what you, makes you happy and you continue to do that and you can make a living doing it, Oh my God, that is the dream. You know, that's the dream because I literally can make 10 movies a year if I wanted to. Right. I literally could go out and pump out 10 movies a year and create this model and have a, it's just not something I want to do at this point. I just want to circle back on this, you know, uh, ultra, ultra micro budget version versus like the micro budget version of filmmaking. And like, you're talking about how like the model that you're working on, Alex, is a sustainable model where Mm -hmm. you'll be able to make a movie make the money back on that movie, make another movie, you know, as long as you follow like the business practices and you make sure that you're getting all these res- revenue streams in. Mm-hmm. But I, I also feel like Liz's model, the artistic model is also sustainable just in a different way, you know, because if you can, it's sustainable go... for the art part, but not to make a living part. Well, I funded my second but... feature with revenue from my first. Right. But well, you said, you but, you, but you said you didn't make all your money. I back didn't profit. That is so true. But that's why I think it's dangerous to be a filmmaker these days. <laughs> and I know it is. It is. Yeah, it is. And you no, mentioned I mean, in the, bring- you know. in the beginning of this chat, it's like filmmakers are not making money. So the fact that I made any money is insane. Oh no, it's it's. But but you were smart. You casted well for Bread and Butter. I remember. You know, the, you had a, a great cast, and it was it, it, it did well. I mean, you 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 weren't as bohemian as you sound like oh yeah. i'm just gonna be an artist and yeah, put it yeah. out there no you were you you know you didn't just hire the guy down the street and the girl down the street to be in your movie you were smart about it and how you pr- approached it so give yourself a bit more credit uh, I, if yeah. i were liz i wouldn't do that and i am liz so i'm not gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just saying like you know if you have a day job or you know a source of revenue that you're able to live off of for your life yes. and mm-hmm. then you make your films yes. on the side you know and you're doing them every Every few few years, mm-hmm. four years, five years, ten years, however often you want to do it, I think that is its own sustainable model. True. But I think the way that you set that up and the way that you approach that model should be with with a lot of intent, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're not expecting that, like, oh, I'm putting all my energy into this movie yeah. and it's going to whisk me away to Hollywood land or whatever. That, like, no. But isn't like, that what a lot of filmmakers do? It is, but I think that's that's like the point of our podcast, right? right. It's to sort of change the mentality. Correct. That, like that isn't the expectation that you can't just go make a short film or a feature and expect to be at Sundance every year for the rest of your life, you know, with your next movie because you had this one success. It's like, no, you, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it over and over and over again and figure out how to, to make this a sustainable model for yourself, however you approach it. Can I tell you a really quick story that I think is really important? This is something that I think filmmakers need to understand. So many times they, they want that shortcut. They want that, I just want to hack the system. I want to get in and right. get out. And, and you know I don't want to go through all this, this trouble to get to where I want to be. Uh, and th- those filmmakers don't make it, generally speaking. It's kind of like being a stone masonry, a mason, that you you have a rock and you have a hammer, and you start pounding that rock with the the hammer with the rock, or actually the rock with the hammer, again and again. And from the outside, 
someone looking at you is like, this guy is an idiot. He keeps pounding the rock. Nothing's happening to the rock. The rock is still there. Nothing's falling off of it. He keeps pounding and pounding it. And at a hundred times, he's hit it. Nothing's happened. But on the hundred and first, the rock cracks. And it wasn't the hundred and first hit that did it. It was the hundred times before that did it. And that's what filmmakers need to understand, that they have to keep grinding day in, day out. And even though they're not seeing results in what they're doing, they're building up for something bigger. And this is a, that's a larger conversation, not a per right. project thing, but, but a career thing. Right, and building up a portfolio, yes. building up experience, building up the connections, you know, building mm-hmm. up the ability to get your next film made, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's going to be this film or the next film, 10 films down the line, Correct. whatever it is. Yeah. I just want to say, Alex, when you you talked earlier about having a place at the table, and that's the phrase I say all the time about my career, and I'm sure Ulrich feels the same, though I won't speak for him. But um, I want to say that when I first like looked up, looked you up and looked up your podcast, I thought you had broken through and were at the table. So I think that <laughs> expectation, like the impression you're giving people, I just wanted to make sure, because I feel like I got a lot of self-esteem boost through this conversation, so I want to pass you know, pass it on a little bit is just to like to constantly remind yourself how impressive you are, um, especially oh. to strangers, but I'm sure to your friends as well. But, but you, you, like you're there, you're at the table. I, I think for me personally, I've, I feel like I've made it to where I want to be at this point in my career, meaning that I'm happy. And that is a hard place to be as a filmmaker. To be happy with where you are is really a difficult place to be. It doesn't stop me from going after new things, but I've been able to do what I've done strictly from grit and grind and hustle. And I just got tired of waiting around for other people. A lot of people might look in on what I've done and they're like, oh, he's made it. I'm like, I haven't. In my eyes, I have a lot to do, but I'm happy. And that is a huge, you know, happy overpowers money a lot of times in my life now. It's just, that's just the way it should be. I think this whole made it term is like, should be like kind of reframed and refocused and reimagined because I think like the traditional idea of like, I made it, I have the the sports cars and the mansions (laughs) and I don't have to work every day or whatever. That's like one, just like an agent, like fantasy, like an agent or a manager. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like the definition of made it is completely different to so many different people. The, 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 the street sweeper who, makes a uh, makes a got a job and has a roof over his head and, and is making you know making money to feed his family that person made it in his eyes you know when they right. had nothing it's all about perspective i don't right. associate material things to success that's something yeah. i don't do personally i i am i happy am i able to spend time with my family do i have a roof over my head do i have food on the table right. can i go do what i want to do that's happiness and that's success to me. Right, exactly. And like success is where you find it and like you define your own success, like you mm-hmm. define your own version of making it. Correct. Right? And I think that's like kind of an inner like, you know, like discovery that you have to have on your for yourself where you're like, I am worth the things I have and I earned the things I have and I love the things I have, you mm-hmm. know, where it's not necessarily like this, this whole feeling of reaching for something that you can never attain that's unattainable you know so i think yeah just like thinking it's like a more of a spiritual 
like thing in a little in a little bit. I think sometimes if you focus a little too, if you focus on the wrong thing, so like let's say you're focusing on material things or money or this and that, it's kind of like aiming for the moon and missing overshooting the moon and and, and falling into deep space, dark, cold, and alone. <laughs> right. You know, wow. that's kind of the way it is because then because you're like I'm gonna uh, go. I like get- I like that one. That's a good one. I like that one. But I like the Mason one, but I like that one better. That's a good one. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, like I shot for the moon, but I overshot it. And uh, I'm now dark, dead, and cold and alone in the space. Cold, cold, alone in space. And I'm just floating in nothingness forever. And I can never get back to Earth. Pretty much. That is the film industry, is it not? Uh, Wow. Fascinating. um, And and I did, I put out, I put out a quote today. Somebody actually heard me say this and they put out a quote card and I have to say it on the show because it's hilarious. I, 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 my analogy, and this is, and this is, please, it's a little crude. So please... Please bear with me, but I think it's... Right, we'll censor the shit out of it. Don't worry. <laughs> um, basically, that filmmaking is like herpes. You know, sometimes it's dormant. <laughs> sometimes it flares up. But once you have it, it's yours for life. There's no vaccination for it. You can't cure it. It only gets cured when you're on set. And then after you finish a movie, about two weeks afterwards, it starts to flare up again. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> And I think that's a perfect way, a perfect way to, to end, end this conversation. Liz is quiet. Um, Are you okay, Liz? <laughs> Liz? Liz had to go to a meeting. So she's already gone. Um, but uh, Alex, yeah, tell man. people where they can find uh, your your book, Film Entrepreneur, which will probably be out by this point, I imagine. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, your new it's a new podcast, Film film Entrepreneur is a brand new so podcast. It's, it's like started. Entrepreneur, but Film Entrepreneur. So, yeah. Film Entrepreneur, yeah. Yeah. So um, this might take a second, but uh, if you can get the new book, Book at uh, filmbizbook.com. That's film b i z book.com. That's Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. It's available for pre-order right now. It already hit the best-selling pre-order list on Amazon. So obviously, wow. there's a lot of people who really Congrats. want that. Yeah, thanks. It's it, I, I was shocked. Someone sent it to me. I'm like, what happened? No, every, every, everybody wants this. Everybody I don't know. Wants this stuff. I mean, look, any filmmaker who doesn't want to know how to make some money with their movie. And it's not all just like, hey, I want to build an online cooking course. Like that's not the way. No, no, no. But, but it's a great example, though. I think yeah, for really that project, it makes perfect sense. But there's so many like, you know, you can use uh, examples like Kung Fury and there's all sorts of right. other different movies that did versions of the film entrepreneur model and then i have the new podcast called film the film entrepreneur podcast of course i have the indie film hustle podcast and for screenwriters the bulletproof screenwriting podcast as well talk about the new podcast like what kind of guests are you going to have on like what's the structure of that show so the show the show the structure of that show is similar to the indie film hustle structure where you know i i I bring on guests or i'll have conversations about certain topics but i'm gonna i do a little bit more of a deep dive into either micro-budget filmmaking, marketing, uh, product building, or like case studies with films that, you know, how, how they're making their money, full exposure of, 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 you know, transparency about their movies, how they're making money, how they're not making money, ideas, things like that. So anytime like certain topics will come up, uh, like I just got, I just had a guest on that. They did a tour around the country selling their vampire romantic comedy. Yeah. We just had the, them on the show. Yeah. They're um, great. They're great. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. They're fantastic. So that's like, but we deep dive into, uh, the, the business side of stuff where stuff like that. I, I kind of yes. touched upon that in indie film hustle, but I don't feel like it's appropriate to sit down and start talking about affiliate marketing and online marketing and things like right. that on that show. This is right. th- this is really strictly built for people who want to learn how to generate revenue, get ideas on how to actually make a living with your art 
And that's what nice. that whole product, that's a, the whole, the whole website is built around that. Perfect. Perfect. And then your films are online for people to watch if they want to watch them on the corner of Ego and Desire. So Ego and Desire will be released uh, in the next, I've been so busy with all this other stuff. I hadn't released oh, wow. it yet. So it's been a year and a half because it's a long story. But I, I, I finally got my distributor, uh, I got them the masters like <laughs> yesterday, I think. Nice. So nice. it will be released uh, released in the next few weeks. Uh, it will be available on Indie Film Hustle TV, my streaming platform. This is Meg nice. will be there. I'll, I'll have like commentary tracks and special things that you can only get oh, on the streaming cool. on the streaming service, behind the scenes, and all this. There's a lot of like things that are on the streaming service that are not available anywhere else. But I'm dying for people to watch Ego and Desire because it is literally just a film about filmmakers ridiculousness it's best of show nice. meets spinal tap for independent filmmakers oh wow so that's... i can't wait to see it man <laughs> i appreciate it that, that's like you know two of my favorite genres mashed into one you know yeah i'm trying I'm, I'm trying and because we're all ridiculous and most of the mistakes and things that i hear are either stories that i heard of or i went through myself and my nice. my ego which is it has been known to be quite large um, right. In my day, really? No, in my it, day, in I my can't day, imagine. in my day, shocking. I know it's difficult to know. You see, so humble now, you know. I am, um, sir. I am the humblest. <laughs> I am the humblest guy you'll ever meet. Right? Is your apple pie the most crumblest too? It is the most crumblest, sir. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. Well, I think that's a great way to end the show. Thanks, uh, Alex, for coming out again. This has been great, man. A lot of fun. Thank You're you for having me, man. I appreciate Anytime. it. I appreciate yeah. it. And I'll see you soon on my show, sir. Yes, I can't wait. That'll be it's be a lot of fun. It'll be the, the shoe will be on the other foot. This oh yes, time. I will. I will grill you, sir. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> and Liz, I think is uh, I think Liz is coming on too. I wanted her back. Oh, on. that's awesome. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. Um, so you, you can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find the links to the things we talked about in this episode, including all of Alex's amazing stuff. If you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at podcast. I am at B on Twitter and Instagram and Liz can be found at, I think she's just at Liz Manichel on all the things. Mm -hmm. And if you like the show, you can tell a friend, help us get the word out, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And Alex, thanks again, man. This has been great. Thank you for having me, brother. I appreciate it, man. All right. Talk to you guys next week.